0: Today, we're going to pick up in our study in Colossians. We're here just in the early part of the first chapter. And we read over, as you know, these verses that we covered last week. We looked at the prayer uh, that Paul prayed for the church last week. And today, we're going to focus in on verses 12 through 14, where Paul having prayed, then he goes into a a moment of thanksgiving to God for the things that God has done for us. And that's our focus today, the things that God has done for us. That's what we want to talk, talk about. When people in general think of the Christian faith, when they think of what it means to be a Christian, they quite often, maybe even most often, Think of things you do or things you stop doing uh, to become or be a Christian. So in the minds of so many people, Christianity is basically about what you do, things that you do. And the emphasis just almost always seems to be on on you and your your performance and, and so forth. But, you know, that is not what Christianity is first and foremost all about. What Christianity is first and foremost all about is what God has done. Uh, The great uh, British preacher from the mid 20th uh, to the late 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he put it like this, let me read it to you. He said, this idea is as current today as it has ever been that the message of Christianity is to call us to do something to put ourselves right, to put the world right, to stop this, to stop that. But the very first principle of Christianity denies that completely. It is the exact opposite. Christianity is first and foremost a proclamation of what God has done. That's what Christianity is. It's first and foremost, a proclamation of what God has done. And this is so important for us to understand. And quite frankly, this is something that is missed um, very, very often in the church. Uh, Oftentimes, preachers get this wrong. Oftentimes, the the message coming from a pulpit, it really comes down to things you should do, things you shouldn't do. Uh, The focus is upon behavior. Now, behavior certainly has a place in our Christian lives, but it's not the first place. Behavior is a result of something else. And the Bible itself, and Paul in particular, uh, lays out scripture in such a way as to where he always emphasizes initially what God has done for us. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. Uh, the book of Romans, which is considered many to be the, the most thorough uh, doctrinal presentation of the Christian faith, the, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are dedicated to what God has done. The first eight chapters are specifically dealing with what God has done for us in Christ. Chapters nine through 11 talks about what God has done and will do for the people of Israel in the future. And it's not till you get to chapter 12 that you actually get to the personal application. And so chapter 12 begins with these words. Uh, there Paul says, Paul um, I beg you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, therefore, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So when he says, therefore, he's connecting back to everything he's been saying. So what he's doing is is he is finally appealing them, appealing to them uh, regarding their behavior but he's doing it based on everything he's already said to them. So he's already told them about the grace of God and the love of God and how Christ uh, died for us and God demonstrated his love for us and uh, you know how we've been uh, filled with the Spirit and, and there's no condemnation and all of those things. He's already told us all of that, and then he gets to the point of Now, because this is the case, you do this. We find the same thing in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In that letter, he basically for the first three chapters, actually three and a half or or so chapters, it's just an, an exposition of all the goodness of God toward us. And then after doing that for three and a half chapters, then he comes again to therefore you, and then he calls us to live a certain way. So that's the way the scripture is laid out, and it's laid out that way intentionally because our behavior is a response to what God has done. You see, God is the initiator. We are the responder. And so we always have to keep that perspective when we think about these things. And so here at the end of Paul's prayer in verse 12, Paul again reminds us of the things that God has done. And here he reminds us of five things. These are the five things that we want to look at, but let me read it to you. Verse 12, giving thanks to the father who has number one qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Secondly, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Third, he has conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Fourth, in whom we have redemption, he has redeemed us through his blood. And then fifthly and finally, we have through him the forgiveness of sins. And so those are the things that we want to focus on. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. Uh, there are many other things that in, in different places in the biblical text where Paul or the other writers are giving us insight and understanding into what God has done. But this is a good uh, few points here, these, these five points. And, and I like uh, breaking it down a little bit into the five points because those are you know, five points are still manageable. You know, if I wanted to give you 10 points today, 10 points, it's like, okay, I'm gonna maybe remember three of those, but you know, five's a little more manageable and they're right here in the passage, so we can go back and refer to them again. But let's look at each one of these, beginning with the first one that Paul mentions here, and he mentions qualified. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in the light, partakers with the saints in the light. So the first thing that God has done for us, he has qualified us. Now, we, we all probably have had some experience in life where we have been told that we, have, uh, that we are not qualified for a particular thing, whatever it might be. We, we might have even had a situation where we've been disqualified Disqualified is a little bit different. It's, it looks like you know, you're know you gonna be qualified and then uh, when everything finally settles, no, sorry, you, you're disqualified for this. Um, so being unqualified or being disqualified, uh, that is the state that we were in by nature when it came to the inheritance that God has. The inheritance that God has, uh, we did not qualify. For it. Uh, Cheryl and I are, are just now, we're in a process of refinancing our home. And, you know, in order to do that, you have to go through um, all of this paperwork and these things. But basically, the what it comes down to is, do you qualify? Do you qualify for this loan? And um, hopefully, we're going to qualify. Everything is going to be fine. But I, I've had experiences in life where um, I have not qualified for certain things. I've had experiences in life where I have been disqualified. And when we think of the, the human condition, our, our, our state in sin, that has disqualified us from the inheritance that God has for people. But what has God done? Well, this is the great news. He has qualified us. He has qualified us. He has stepped in and and basically done for us what we could not do for ourselves. There was there was no way that I could qualify myself. When you you know look at all of all of the paperwork, when you look at all of uh, of the background and everything, uh, you know you're going to have to just recognize that, no, you know, Brian Brian doesn't qualify uh, for, for this inheritance. But the Lord says, no, I will qualify him. And, and that's what God has done for us, for his people. He has qualified us so that we will then partake of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So God has this inheritance. God has these riches, you know, again, think of an inheritance. If you think of that, uh, like we normally do, you're thinking of of some uh, great amount of money perhaps, or maybe some property or, you know, something that was left to you by a rich relative. And so you've got an inheritance coming. Well, God has an inheritance uh, for his people, for the saints. And although we are by nature disqualified, what Paul is telling us here is that God has qualified us. How has he qualified us? He's qualified us through the righteousness of Christ being imputed to our account. So. You know, when you're talking about uh, like qualifying, maybe like for a loan or something like that, um, you're, you're looking here and you know, so here's a paper, my name's on it. And then there's a stamp there and the stamp is basically in red, uh, unqualified or disqualified. So when we're looking at our own lives and how we measure up to the requirement for this inheritance of the saints in the light, we've got that same stamp. All of us have that same stamp, unqualified, disqualified. But what God does through Christ is he takes the righteousness of Jesus. This is the the wonder of the gospel. We are sinners. We fall short. We are unqualified. We are disqualified. Jesus is righteous. He lives according to God's standard. And then he dies in the place of those who fall short and then God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he places that on our account that's what imputed righteousness means it means it's a righteousness that is given to us that is not intrinsic to us but it's from outside of us and so we have this imputed righteousness So that disqualified stamp is uh, stamped over by Christ and now we have been qualified. So whenever you feel, and which we sometimes do, whenever you feel unworthy, whenever you question whether you're good enough to be part of God's family to to truly be one of His heirs. To you know, make it simple to inherit heaven at the end of your life. When whenever you have doubts about that, because you're looking at your own uh, failures and so forth, know this: that when God looks at your account, He sees qualified, stamped boldly right there across your account across my account, because that is the work that Christ did for us. And that is just the the idea there as well of there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, outside of Christ, we're disqualified, we're condemned. But in Christ, having put our faith in Christ, we are qualified. And now we are heirs of God, and we are joint heirs with Christ And we are heirs together with the saints in the light. We're we're partaking in that. So number one, qualified us. Secondly, Paul tells us that he delivered us. And what did he deliver us from? He delivered us from the power of darkness. He delivered us from the power of darkness. Uh, the The Bible teaches that there are dark, powerful forces that rule the world and that control the lives of uh, people who are outside of christ the biblical teaching is that the whole world lies in the grasp of the evil one you know we should not be surprised when we see our world uh, exploding we should not be surprised when we see the things that we see happening around us, when we see the hatred and the violence and the uh, prejudice, and we see all of these different things, we should not be surprised because these are just the manifestations of a world that is in the grip of the powers of darkness. And that is where we all at one time were ourselves. We, we were there in that place. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he stated it like this. He said that you, we were in the past dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. So this is our previous state. But again, through the work of Christ, he has delivered us from the powers of darkness. So we're no longer held captive by the enemy. You know, before I was a Christian, I didn't know that this was the case at the time. At least I didn't know uh, how to explain the state that I was in. I know now, before I was a Christian, I was bound in sin. I was bound in sin, I was was, um, in the prison house of sin. I was not able to free myself from that. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Paul said in writing to Timothy, he spoke about those who were taken captive by the devil to do his will. And so the devil takes people captive and that is the the state of man naturally because of sin we are in this uh this bondage to sin and under the control of satan and not only are we we bound in sin but we are blinded by the enemy to our true condition paul puts it this way in writing to the corinthians he says that the god of this age that's his reference to Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this is part of the work of the devil, that he binds us and he blinds us to the truth. He keeps us in this bondage. He he keeps us in captivity. And we don't have any means ourselves of liberating ourselves from that. I think back before I was a Christian, and again, now understanding what was happening, back then I didn't understand it. And I remember um, doing things that were, I knew they were wrong. I knew they were uh, destructive. I knew they were harmful to myself and other people, but I didn't really know how to stop doing them. And even times when I would make an effort to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I, I know this is, this is not helping me. I know this is harmful. I, I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to do this. I would find that even though I, I wanted to stop doing it, I couldn't stop doing it. I was in this bondage. So like I'm saying, when I was there, I didn't know what it was. I, I knew by experience that I was doing things I didn't want to do, and I was, I, I was bound to that. And you know, this is a story of so many people today—people who are uh, in in bondage to drugs and to alcohol and to, you know, various destructive lifestyles. And uh, you know, they have sometimes these these moments where they realize, you know, I'm in captivity. I need to get out of this. They don't really know what it is or how to be freed from it. But the answer is they need to be delivered from the power of darkness. And of course, again, Christ is the deliverer. He's the one who comes and he sets the captive free. And so he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He has conveyed us, or another way to translate that word is transferred. So we have been transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and that world where we were held in captivity and we were blinded to the reality of God. Again, just thinking back on my own experience, you know, back in those days, I just I couldn't even fathom the the idea of knowing God. I would hear people talk about how God spoke to them and how God was guiding their lives and things like that. And I, that was like a foreign language to me. It was like, what, is, what does that even mean? How could that even happen? You see, I was I was in bondage to sin and I was under the dominion of the enemy living in the kingdom of darkness. But then through that work of Christ. And through me, simply embracing what Jesus did, God took me and he did the same for you and everyone else who's ever put their trust in Christ. He transferred us out of that kingdom of darkness and he, and he placed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. You know, when Paul went uh, was sent to preach the gospel by Jesus, you remember the story how Paul was Uh, on his way actually to Damascus to apprehend uh, Christian people there and to take them back to Jerusalem for trial that they would be imprisoned or executed. And as he was making his way to Damascus, you remember he saw um, a light that was brighter than the noonday sun and um, a voice began to speak to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When Paul rehearses that story later on in his life to King Agrippa, he tells King Agrippa that something that Jesus said to him, it was very, very fascinating. Jesus said to Paul, he said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what Paul's mission was. That's what the gospel does. It turns us from darkness to light, it transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, here's an interesting reality that we need to be clear about. The kingdom of God is both already here and yet not fully here so the kingdom of god is a present reality today and for anyone that's put their faith in christ you have been transferred into god's kingdom out of that kingdom of darkness but it's not here in its fullness it will come one day in its fullness and and the earth will be filled with the glory of the lord as the waters cover the sea that's the promise and jesus christ will rule and reign uh on the earth, from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David, ruling over the house of Jacob forever. These are the promises. That's the, in the future, that will be fully realized. Today, that kingdom is among us. We who have put our faith in Christ, we are part of that kingdom, but we are really living in two kingdoms. We're living in the kingdoms of this world that are under the dominion of Satan, but we are also who have trusted Christ. We're, we're now presently living in that kingdom of God, that kingdom of light and of life and of love. And what we need to do as God's people is we need to remember that we are no longer part of that, that kingdom of darkness, but now we are, um, we have been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. And the kingdom has a a whole different uh, atmosphere. It has a whole different lifestyle. It has just a completely different way of thinking and doing and treating one another. And, you know, the church is... In one sense, it is the, the visible presence of that kingdom in the world. And we talked about this a little bit last time when we were looking at uh, Paul's prayer for the church. Remember, we were talking about how important it is uh, for us to recognize today that we are the representatives of Christ on the earth. And when, when we use this picture that we're using right here, think of it as there, there are these two kingdoms. And the vast majority of people are still there in the kingdom of darkness, but there's manifestations of the kingdom of Christ all over the world, Uh, local church bodies, Christians gathered together. And what people ought to do, ought to be able to do is to see the stark contrast between the two kingdoms when they come into our midst, when they... uh, you know, peek inside the room, when they, when they peer at us from uh, across the way, they ought to be able to look and say, that is a whole different thing over there. And it should be so uh, beautiful and so attractive that they want to transfer. They, they want to they be transferred out of the kingdom they're in into the kingdom of light and life and love. Now, when we say light, we're talking about the kingdom of light. We're talking about the kingdom of, of light in the sense of moral purity, spiritual purity. You know, light brings uh, sight, it brings revelation, it brings understanding. It's a kingdom of light, it's a kingdom of life, it's a kingdom of vitality, it's a kingdom of energy, it's a kingdom of of, uh, reproduction and, you know, all, all of the positive things about life. This is the kingdom of Christ. It's a kingdom of life. It's not a dead kingdom. Boy, how many, how many churches over the years have just, uh, modeled sort of a deadness, a dryness. I mean, how many times have people, and, and still today, people sometimes think of a church and they, they just think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Why would I be interested in that? Because their their view, their perspective, what they've seen in regard to the church is just, well, that's just, a you know, there's deadness there. Oh, no, the kingdom of Christ is full of life. And when Christ is dwelling in us, then that life is going to be seen. But it's a kingdom of love, a kingdom of love. Boy, if there was, you know, if there's any place in the world where people ought to, see the, the stark difference between the world and the church, it's in this, this whole realm of love. You know, it's interesting that many people who um, have been caught up in various you know, lifestyles, movements, and things, they, they get drawn in oftentimes um, because they say they feel accepted. They say they feel loved. You know, there are many, many people in the gay community who they cherish the community because it's a place where they felt love, they felt accepted, they felt cared for. And, you know, sadly, in many cases, those same people were at one time in churches and they didn't feel loved. And you don't make them feel loved by agreeing with their lifestyle or their desires, but but they didn't sense that, there was any real love or concern for them in their plight. They didn't feel like anyone was willing to listen and to be sympathetic and to try to give some help and so forth. And so they just decided, well, that you know, that's not a place where I want to be. That that's a place where I I don't feel at all loved. I was talking to our school staff earlier this week, and I was talking about. The, the cultural transition that we've been going through here at our own church, and how we have not um, at all changed our theological views or positions on anything. We're a very theologically conservative church, but we have been going through a process of uh, culturally changing, recognizing that the world around us is different and that we have to navigate things differently. And I was, I was talking about Pastor Chuck Smith and how, um, you know, many. Uh, many knew Pastor Chuck after the, the earliest days of what God did at Calvary Chapel, and many knew him when he was very much settled and established as a, a you know a long term pastor and a voice in the community and the world, and you know they, they knew him in a sense as a pillar of conservatism and all of those things. And I was saying, you know, you didn't know him when he was known as the rebel. You didn't know him when people uh, in the, even in the Christian community shunned him and criticized him and wouldn't allow him into certain spaces because of his position of opening the doors of his church to anyone that God would bring in. And, you know, we, we forget that sometimes. But you see, it's a kingdom of love. And so what people, regardless of where they're coming from, regardless of what their background is, people ought to be able to sense that even though there's not an agreement on things, but I, I don't know, I just, I still felt like uh, I was loved. So anyway, as I was sharing this with uh, the, the staff this past week, one of the one of the ladies who's a teacher, she came to me, she said, thank you. She's, and she told me about her grandson. She said, you know, my grandson grew up here. He grew up at the school here and uh, he's been living a gay lifestyle, and he just feels you know, hated by the church and just feels like there's no way he could come back or be welcomed. And so she was just saying, thank you for you know, the things you shared. They encouraged me today. And, but but that's, the, that's the thing that we're talking about. We, we have been transferred in the, into the kingdom of light and life and love. And that's what people who uh, are outside peering in that's what they ought to sense. That's what they ought to see, because that's what's happened to every one of us. Isn't it wonderful that God didn't say to any of us, um, well, you know, I love you, but you're going to have to really clean up your act before you can come around me. God didn't do that. No, he, he did for us what uh, we couldn't do for ourselves. He qualified us. We were all disqualified, but he qualified us. And he delivered us from those powers, and he's translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And then, fourthly, he redeemed us. He redeemed us. And we read here, he redeemed us through his blood. We are redeemed through the blood of Christ. The word redemption, it means to... The idea is to pay uh, a price for something. Uh, It is to, um, to buy something back. So God creates the world, he creates humanity. He creates mankind to live in a relationship with himself, but man betrays God and sides with the enemy, and then actually comes under the the control of the enemy. And what God does through Christ is he buys us back out of that situation. Redeemed, the the word uh, redeemed in the biblical text, it's the word that was used in the purchase of a slave. And it was specifically referring to purchasing a slave in order to liberate them. And that's what God has done. He has redeemed us and he's done this through the blood of Christ. So the the price that was paid to bring us back to himself, was the precious blood of Christ. And Peter tells us that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain or empty manner of life, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So the the price for redemption, Jesus said it himself. He said, I am going to give my my life as a payment for the life of this world. I give my flesh as a payment for the life of this world. And that's what he did. He shed his blood. God redeemed us through his blood. And then that resulted in the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven our sins. God has made a way for sins to be forgiven. You know, sin is Sin and sins. The distinction is sin is uh, a destructive principle that's at work in all of creation. It's at work in every single human being. And then sins are the, are the acts that proceed from the sin nature. But sin and sins are the root cause of all of the trouble and problems in the world today, yesterday, and tomorrow. All of the trouble is connected back to the issue of sin. And as a matter of fact, our problems are rooted in sin, because sin is the thing that separates us from God. The Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he said, my arm is not too short to save, and my ear is not too dull to hear but your sins have separated you from your God. And you see, that is, again, that's our natural condition. We are separated from God. We are not in relationship with him. And the wonderful news is that all of that has been remedied through what Christ has done. And so those sins that separated us from God, those sins that kept us from hearing his voice, those sins that kept us from experiencing his love, those sins that kept us from knowing him and having that sense of his presence in our life and his hand of uh, mercy over us and his guidance, you know, those, those things that prevented all of that, those have all been taken away. Our sins have been forgiven. What a, what a wonderful thing. You know, everybody sins. Some people's sins are blatant and obvious and notorious. Uh, for other people, their sins aren't so obvious. They're a little bit uh, veiled. Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is everyone sins. And sin separates us from God, as I've already said. Sin ruins relationships between us as people. Sin uh, destroys us in our souls and in our minds, it causes us to think things and do things that are, are destructive and harmful. Th- this is what sin is. And sins weigh us down. Sins burden us. Sins, because they are actual uh crimes against God, they place a burden of guilt upon each and every one of us. And that burden of guilt is real. We, we are guilty. But living under the burden of guilt is its almost intolerable. Sometimes it is intolerable. But through Christ, God has forgiven our sins. Everything that we have ever done that's been wrong, everything that we've ever done that's been a violation of God's commands, everything that we've ever done to uh, harm another person, whether we intended to or we didn't intend to, nevertheless, it was the case, Uh, all of that is forgiven. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate forgiveness so much because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. Remember the story Jesus told about a, uh, he went into this religious leader's house and um, while he was there, this woman came in and fell at his feet. She began to weep and she was, uh, you know, very demonstrative. She was uh, weeping, her tears were falling on the feet of Jesus and uh, she was washing his feet with her hair. And the man that invited Jesus to dinner, he was a religious leader, and he sat there and he thought, oh my goodness, if Jesus knew this woman, if he knew what kind of a woman she was, he couldn't possibly allow this. If he were really the Messiah, he would not let a woman like this touch him. So for this guy, he thought, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person. This woman, she is wicked, evil, sinful. Jesus shouldn't be allowing this. And what he didn't know is that Jesus could read his mind. (laughs) All this was going on in his head. And Jesus turns to him and he says, you know, I came into your house and you didn't, you know, give me a real warm welcome. He said, you didn't give me a kiss. That was a customary thing. But this woman has not ceased kissing my feet. Uh, You gave me no water for my feet. You didn't wash my feet, but she's been washing my feet with her tears and with her hair. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and this woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven. And because she's been forgiven of much, she loves much. But the point was, you, the religious man, you don't think you're that big of a sinner. And that's obvious because you don't have the kind of love and devotion that you should have. And you see, that's a, that's a real problem. Sometimes we just, we don't think we're that sinful. And because we don't think we're that sinful, we don't appreciate the forgiveness like we should and we don't show mercy and forgiveness and love and those things to other people when they sin because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven you know sometimes it's a good thing even though it's a painful thing sometimes it's a good thing if we're thinking sometimes about ourselves You know, I, i don't know i'm really not that bad sometimes it's good to just say lord would you just show me a little bit uh about what i'm really like not too much because that could be brutal but you know, it's 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 important to have that perspective, the right perspective. Because you see, as far as God is concerned, it's not it's not merely the things that you do that are wrong, it's everything you think that's wrong. It's the things that you desire that are wrong. And again, in the days of Jesus, remember the religious leaders, they thought they were righteous and holy. They were so incensed at Jesus that he would Insinuate that they were sinful because outwardly they hadn't done anything that they thought was all that bad. That's why Jesus said to him, Look, let me tell you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you might think that you're pure, you've never committed adultery. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery. You might think that you're nice and forgiving and loving and you, you know you'd never hurt anybody you certainly would never murder anybody but you know what if you hate somebody in your heart you have murdered them So you see when we start to understand how God sees sin he sees that we are tainted from head to toe in sin and then we realize he's forgiven us our sin Oh my goodness hallelujah Lord, I just want to live in in perpetual thanksgiving. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is thanking God. I give thanks to the Father who has qualified us and delivered us and redeemed us and transferred us and forgiven us. And so these are the things that God has done for us. And like I said in the beginning, our place is that of response. God is the initiator, we are the responder. So when we understand, when we get a grip on the things that God has done, what's our response to be? Our response is to be, man, Lord, how can I just love you more? How can I serve you more? How can I glorify and honor you more, Lord? How can I just be more fully given over to you? See, that's how the gospel works. The gospel works by overwhelming us with the goodness of God to the point that we say, how could I give him less than my entire life for all that he's done for me? And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we just recognize that Christianity is the story of all that you have done to save men and women and boys and girls and to make all of us, whatever our background, whatever our ethnicity, whatever uh, anything that, that distinguishes us from one another, whatever it is, Lord, you've done these things to make us your children and the heirs of your kingdom forever and ever and oh how we thank you for that today and may the <coughs> may the knowledge of what you have done be that thing that moves us moves us deeply to respond to you in love and obedience and devotion and commitment. We pray that your spirit (coughs) would work in us to that end. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone with us or anyone tuning in, watching online, anyone listening over the radio that has not yet received the blessing of, of your goodness, the qualification that you Uh, provide for us the deliverance that comes. Lord, the transference from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the, the redemption and the forgiveness. I pray that they would not go another moment without receiving it. Help them to open their hearts today, to call upon you, that you might come and bring to them all the blessings of salvation through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.